0: Hello and welcome back to the Thomas Fitch Sports Show. I'm Thomas Fitch. Today we are doing another episode of Recap with Thomas Fitch, recapping Texas's 17-7 victory over Iowa State in Ames, Iowa, which takes Tom Herman and the Texas football program 2-2-2, two, two two, um, heading into a really tough stretch uh, against Kansas State, Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma State. So it was a big win, much-needed win, being 1-3 going into the games, Um the next three games would have been really bad for um, for the program. So let's get into it. Um, I thought there was a lot of good things from the games, the game, a lot of bad things too. So we're going to start with offense, and we're going to jump right into the quarterback controversy. So Shane Buchel, not a good night, not a bad night uh, necessarily. He was 19 to 26, 171 yards, and he uh, averaged six and a half yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, so... Not doing a lot. Um, most of his throws were short, um, and it just it didn't impress me. After last game, I said Bouchelle absolutely needs to start this game, and I still I still stand by it. However, I think that going for the future, Allinger needs to be the quarterback, and here's why. So, Shane he wasn't inaccurate, but I don't. I just. I think for the future, he is not the quarterback for us. Ellinger is clearly the quarterback of the future, and if we want to get him ready for next year, and the year after that for possibly a championship run, we need to get him starting. And quite frankly, Bouchelle just didn't impress me tonight. He, when he ran the ball, he looked awkward. He aver- He had thirteen car- attempts for forty-two yards. He averaged three point two yards per carry, and some of that, I think. Again, I still I hate Tim Beck's play call. Um, maybe it'll work eventually if we can get a you know dual threat quarterback like the one we have coming in next year. But as of now, I don't I hate Tim Beck's play call. I, I last week I said I wanted him, or two weeks ago I said I wanted, wanted him fired. I don't think I think he needs still needs to be around, but he needs to adjust his play calling, and uh, we'll talk about how he adjusted that with Chris Warren in a little bit. But one thing that really just made me frustrated about Shane Buchel is there were a lot of times where he had a lot of time just sitting in the pocket. He was sitting there five, six seconds, plenty of time to let the receivers get open, and he would end up either making a terrible throw or he would check it down to the running back for two yards or something. When you have five or six seconds in the pocket, that is when you have to wait for your your receiver who's going deep to get open. So the reason that Buchel didn't throw deep I can, there's one of three reasons that makes sense for why this app or why he didn't throw uh, it deep a he's too short and can't see over the line the guy is 511 on a good day it, they I, I think they might list him as six foot I think he's closer to 510 he is short he can't see over the line so when you're trying to throw deep and you cannot see where your receiver is and you get to the point where you they've you've had so much time in the pocket that they might be starting to improvise on their route if you can't see them, it's just risky to throw it. So that's a possible option. Um, again, it's hard because I watched the game on TV, so it's hard to know exactly what the problem is. Uh, a second possible sl- or answer for this is that the receiver struggled to get open. And I wonder this last game, and really all the games, is because we have we have so many good receivers, and that was evident last or two weeks ago against USC. Colin Johnson went off. Foreman had some great catches. But I'll have to look look back at tape, but Theres a possibility that they were struggling to get open, and that's why why Bouchelle is just waiting back there five, six seconds and throwing it to the, the running back who's two yards away from him. The third reason is he's just indecisive, and he, he sees two guys and he doesn't know who to throw it to, so he just checks it off. And the first and third ones fall on Bouchelle. The second one falls on the receivers. And I think it might be more of a first and second. Thing. And I felt Ellinger, a he can see over the line, so he can throw. Up, he can throw it in the middle of the field, and b he is much more decisive in his throwing. So a couple reasons why I think Ellinger should start next week and for the rest of the year. Um, one thing. So the O line, so the O line did not do good. Um, they I felt like they had, they really struggled to open holes for the. For the running backs, Rochelle was under pressure a lot, and they held time after time after time. It was incredible how many holes. There was one drive where it was hold, hold, no hold, and then hold again. Three out of four plays, it was a hold. That, that's just you know unacceptable. You can't, you can't do that. Um, but to be fair, they're a very depleted O-line. They're without you know, Patrick Hudson. Uh, they have five injuries on the on the O line. Most notably be Patrick Hudson, uh, Andrew Beck, the tight end, and Connor Williams, a potential top ten draft pick. And so clearly, I think that loss was felt the most this game because he is he's done a great job opening up holes for guys like Chris Warren in the San Jose State game. He's done a good job uh, protecting the quarterback, and he doesn't hold that much. So all of those reasons. It was just a disappointing performance, I think, especially with the holds, because that was something uh, against USC two weeks ago. I was like, maybe we fixed our holding problem. But clearly this week showed us that we have not fixed our holding problem, and until we can get Connor Williams back, or unless this offensive line can develop more, it's going to be a struggle when we're playing teams with much better defensive lines, such as Oklahoma, such as, well, Oklahoma State doesn't have a great defense but West Virginia teams with better defenses. So when we play those the offensive line is going to have to improve for us to have a chance in those games. Finally on offense, I want to touch on running backs because last week I said we need to get the ball to Chris Warren. And what did we do the ball what did we do? I thought we got the ball to him a little bit better. He had 16 carries this game which was a heck of a lot better than last week only getting 4. So there's an improvement in him getting touches but he only had 44 yards, so that's averaging 2.8 per carry. That is not good. He really disappeared in the second half. He didn't get a lot of touches, and I think because he is such a big runner, if you keep feeding him the ball, you keep giving it to him, keep letting him just run over those D linemen, he's eventually going to wear them down, and by the second half, by the third quarter, the fourth quarter, they're going to be exhausted, and the holes are going to get bigger, and he's going to be able to run over them. But as the second half rolled on, uh, the touches were more given to Porter, or we just didn't run the ball. Porter finished 17. He, out, he out-touched Chris Warren 17 uh, carries for 39 yards, averaging 2.3 per carry. Um, the one running back that did impress me was Tony Carter. He, he had four carries for 14 yards. He averaged 35. But what impresses me about Tony Carter is his, his uh, pass-catching ability out of the backfield. And I said this after the spring game. I said he's going to be a good third-down running back in the future. And he had our first touchdown catch tonight. It was a really nice route, a really well-thrown ball by Buchel. Um He ended up with uh, two receptions for 23 yards and one touchdown. But he adds another dimension because he is very good at catching. He's good at route running. And he's a decent runner as well. So I think in the future he needs to be the third-down running back instead of putting Porter in to run on third and 15. That doesn't work. Um, so that's my offensive takes. Uh, still a ways to go on offense, but it was it. No, it wasn't better than last week. But I think Ellinger definitely needs to get a start next or yeah next week against Kansas State. So let's go to the defensive side because obviously defense did a lot better, held Iowa State to um, to seven points. They had total yards. Iowa State had, uh, 256 total yards. So, much better performance. And this is uh, Texas averaging over three, uh, giving up over 300 yards per game. So that was, that was impressive. Uh, Jacob Park, who's uh, done really. I mean, this is a Iowa State team who going into this game was averaging about 42 and a half points per game. Uh, Again, not against great teams, but they put up 41, I believe, against Iowa, who has a really good defense, and uh, last week they shut down Penn State to 19 points. So that does impress me about the defense, um, but I think my reaction was that the defense was good, not great, and uh, let me share kind of why. So I thought what was good on the defense was, A, we definitely lost the field position battle for the majority of the game when we couldn't drive we couldn't get drives going they couldn't get drives going they were starting around the, around midfield around their 40 or around our 40 they had really good field position but our defense did a good job of not letting them push into scoring territory their one score came after a shank punt by Michael Dixon uh it was it was one bad punt of the game but after a shank punt that set them up on, around the 30 so clearly the defense – and I feel like we saw this against USC last week where they do a good job of when the team starts driving, once they get around midfield and around the 30-yard line, stalling them, slowing them down, and uh, forcing turnovers. Deshaun Elliott had two picks this game. Um, so he's having a heck of a season so far. He also dated Charlie Strong's daughter, while Charlie Strong, is his coach. So that's a bold man right there. Also had two picks this game. So – Shout out to to Deshaun Elliott uh, for having some guts. Anyways, um, the player that impressed me the most tonight, um, I kind of had like an MVP and a an, uh, most valuable player and least valuable player on the defense for this game. So the MVP was Chris Boyd, who all of a sudden decides, "Hey, I know how to play football," um, and he did a much better job of alignment. He was able to. He had a bunch of really good pass breakups. He just, he wasn't getting burned tonight. And I don't know if it's, he's going against worse receivers, but he just looked like the four-star recruit that, you know, he was said to be this great, you know, athletic cornerback. And he finally showed up like that. Um, however, least valuable player, the player who showed down tonight was Malik Jefferson. Um I don't exactly know what happened for, with him tonight, and I don't have exactly the stats, so I don't yet. Yeah, so I don't exactly know. Um, he probably still had a bunch of tackles, but it just felt like there, his presence was missing on the field. He had one sack on a fourth down in the, I believe, in the fourth quarter, and I was like, "Oh, he's playing," because. And I said this about the first couple games. I felt like the blitz packages with Malik are very. They're just they're they're very predictable, and they have him going up against like the center, or you know these big linemen. They just have him waiting two seconds and then running against these big linemen, and he's not going to get through. them. So um, I think partially this this poor game was his fault, but partially I think Todd Orlando needs to get more creative with the blitz schemes um, in the future. Um, so I I would say the worst part defensively looking at it this game, even though we held him to seven points, the D line like never touched um, what's never touched Jacob Park and that's fine when your secondary plays well and Park has a bad night um, he had missed a lot of throws um, his interceptions were just terrible overthrows um, and that's fine against Iowa State but when you're playing Baker Mayfield you are going to have to get to him or else the receivers are gonna run all over you Chris Boyd's going to get burned again, and Mayfield's going to throw for five, 600 yards. Because that's what happens. When you can't get pressure on the quarterback, and this is why I was saying that it's really bad when, um, when couldn't wasn't able to throw to open guys when he was having five, six seconds in the pocket. When you have that much time in the pocket, it lets the receivers get open because as a DB, it's hard to hang on to a receiver for, for a long amount of time. The longer it, the longer you're out there, it's just harder to hang on to them. So, the D line needs to get pressure to the quarterback so that the um, so that you can contain the receivers. And there was, I believe, there was one sack this game by Malik. That was all. And it looked more like Maryland where we really struggled to get to the quarterback, but the secondary did a great job of shutting down the receivers and not giving Park options. Um, when he was throwing. So, anyways, I felt like it was uh, kind of a a step down from last game against USC. Um, I was hoping we'd be turning up, but, and after a bye week, it was disappointing. But it's a win nonetheless on the road on a Thursday night in Ames, which is still not easy to do. So, and, you know, when you look at that, it makes it look a little bit better. But a win is a win, but we... Herman knows this. We have a tough stretch coming up, so he's going to have to get his players ready to beat Kansas State, beat Oklahoma, beat Oklahoma State um, if they want to have a chance to contend for the Big 12 title, which I know is their goal. Um, Anyways, we're running out of time, but thanks so much again for joining in to the Thomas Fitch Sports Show. I'm Thomas Fitch. I'm also working on getting this podcast on iTunes, so y'all can listen to it a lot more easily. Anyways, thank you very much for listening.